Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Mark, and today I have the distinct pleasure of talking with my good friend and bass player extraordinaire, Jaron Gelino. Jaron is the bassist for Lynch Mob, Tantric, Heaven's Edge, The Life Project, Delacoma, and many more, and he's one of the most hardworking guys you'll ever meet. I met Jaron when Tantric were touring London a couple years ago. I was living there at the time and they were kind enough to let my band um, do the support slots on a couple gigs. So it's funny how you meet people and these connections grow or can grow and it kind of relates to what this podcast is about. On that note, please remember to give us a rating, a review, a follow, a share as we continue to grow and create content for you guys. Um, But for the most part, let's get straight to it. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Jaron Gelino. Hey, Jaron, it's Travis from Musicians Mental. How you doing, man? Hey, Travis, doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. No, no, thank you, man. I really appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to hearing where our conversation goes. Um, I obviously met you uh, very briefly when Tantric um, passed through London and I was still living there at the time. Um, And thankfully, you guys let our band uh, open for your band, which I was always very appreciative of. Um, And I will record a introduction on all your activities once this interview is finished. But for our listeners who don't know much about you, would you maybe just do a brief introduction as to who you are, please? Sure. My name is Jaron Galino, and uh, per this conversation, I am the bass player of Tantric, Heaven's Edge, Lynch Mob, and The Life Project, which are my my current uh, active and, and touring projects, uh, among many other you know recording things as well. But those are the main things that I uh, that I do currently. Cool. And let's talk about your your sort of involvement and your introduction to music. How did you find that music was the path that you wanted to take? Uh, you know, it actually came pretty late um, in in the growing up stages of my life. You know, I, as a young kid, I was a big fan not only of just listening to music, but the whole world of it. You know, while most kids were watching Disney movies and, you know, Nickelodeon, um, you know, I was like obsessing over music videos and, and Ozzy and just like, to me, that was like, you know, my kind of childish stuff, you know, and um, being a fan and just growing up and going to concerts since I was a kid with my dad and, uh, you know, getting into music with friends in school and stuff. It wasn't until I was about 15 or 16 uh, when I finally decided to pick up the instrument. But um, I think a lot of the the early stages of that was growing up around the music, being a fan and uh, pre you know, bass playing. I was a, a skateboarder for many, many years, and pr- was pursuing it. Um, you know, it, it with the hopes of a, of a career of, of some sort. But um, once I kind of got a taste of that music and, and playing uh, an instrument, it kind of just made me realize, you know, if people are out there doing this, you know, maybe I can too. Uh, and then my early teens there is when I started to see friends of mine really. Uh, succeeding with with their instruments you know playing things like slayer or metallica or things that to me you know i was really big into then but more so the physical 
aspect of it, like seeing the ability to play fast or even watching drummer friends of mine, you know, play double bass. It was like, wow, like these kids that I go to school with that I didn't even know uh, liked the same kind of music as I did, you know, are out here not only listening to it also, but playing it. And uh, that was kind of the aha moment for me. And um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family, you know, that was very supportive of, of music. And my dad growing up, he played a little bit of bass. And, uh, you know, my mom was a supporter of that. So, you know, between the two of them and uh, getting instruments through them, uh, you know, kind of just spawned this, this career that's become uh, a, a wild ride. That's awesome, man. Let's talk a little bit about family support if you are a musician. I was um, also very lucky in, in regards to my parents, once I kind of decided to do, do music, they, they were very supportive. I'm sure they were probably scared uh, without telling me, but they were very supportive. And I, as I'm sure you do, I know quite a few musicians who don't seem to have that family support. What would you kind of advise up-and-coming musicians who maybe don't get that I don't want to say undying support, but don't get any support from like their parents or anything like that on continuing to pursue this as a career. Well, I think it's tricky because, you know, it, when you say support, you know, it can mean so many different things, you know, some families, um, you know, that are well off, you know, they might support their kids by funding, you know, their uh, career or, you know, just giving them what they need so that they can get the materials or the instruments and so forth. And then you have maybe families that are on the opposite spectrum, which are, you know, they show up to every concert, they're there, they're making sure they're practiced, you know, they're, they're on them about that kind of stuff. But, you know, maybe they know or uh, have an idea that, you know, music is a tough career and, you know, not everybody makes money. And even some of the, the hardest working people, you know, it's it, money is, is a weird aspect of music. So, um, I think it really varies, but I think if you have a loving family, you know, that wants to love and support what you do, you know, show them that you're dedicated and, um, you know, you got to take it seriously, just like any kind of sport or art. And, uh, I think growing up, you know, I was always very, um, obsessive about the things I did. I, I skateboarded, I lived and breathed it for many, many, many years. And then as soon as music came in, it kind of took over that same kind of feeling, uh, as an obsession. So, I think, you know, my, my parents, you know, as much as they supported the fact that I loved it and got to go on these little tours growing up and got to hang with friends, I think at the same time they're thinking, you know, okay, you know, when you go to college or get done with that, like, I wonder what you're going to do for money. I don't think anybody really saw it necessarily becoming a, a full-time career. You know, even part-time would be something uh, more considerable you know, even me now thinking back on it, it's like, I don't know that I ever even realized that I could take it this far, but, uh, you know, growing up watching all those, those heroes of mine, you know, that's all you ever really want, you know, you dream of it. So in my family, my parents have been instrumental in coming to my shows and supporting and never really, uh, pushing back. Uh, you know, every time I have a show or I say, I'm going to go on tour, you know, it was never like, well, okay, well, you know, how much money are you going to make? Or are you going to be able to take off from your job? You know, I think they trusted my judgment and to make the right choices and, you know, to make the best of it. And I think that's what I've done. So observing that through my eyes, through friends and other bandmates, you know, I have a lot of people that I've worked with that didn't have that support from families. And, um, you know, I think that kind of a thing 
can be negative for sure. You know, it can work against you. But in my eyes, I think I would use that as fuel to drive me to be better. And I think that's what a lot of people do as well. And I think anybody growing up now that's trying to do a career in music or or anything, you know, any kind of art that is kind of getting pushed back from parents, you know, that's just their way, I think, of, uh, you know, being protective. But, you know, you just got to gotta throw all your chips in one basket. Uh, you know, I know that's not really the, the right thing to do in, in most eyes, but I feel like if you're going to do something, you know, you got to commit yourself to it and, and give it 100%. And I think any parent that sees their child or family member, you know, really going for something and believing in themselves, it, you know, it only helps to believe in them as well. And, um, you know, obviously it's a slippery slope. It could go either way, but I think that's really, you know, the, the strongest thing. And if you believe in yourself, do what you believe in and, and really just kind of go for it. And any naysayers, whether it's family or friends, you know, uh, it's tricky, but you know, sometimes you just got to say, you know, I'm doing what I know is best and, you know, keep pushing forward. But I think uh, every situation is obviously going to be a little different with that. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I like the fact that you said you could use it as fuel. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Almost like, not in a malicious way, but use it as a, a way to prove people wrong, you know? Like, exactly. it, it turn the negative into a positive at, at, at very worst, you know? Sure. So, now... Again, I know that you play with Tantric and you play with the Lynch Mob, Heaven's Edge, the Life Project. You, you're always busy. You know, from what I see online, you're always busy. And I know that it possibly seems like something silly to talk about, but I know some musicians who can't seem to organize a, a piss-up in a brewery. <laughs> How do you sort of go a, 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 about managing the logistics of your diary when working with so many different projects? Um, it is very difficult, uh, especially because a band like Tantric, uh, we tour a lot. You know, we do a pretty much 12 months worth of dates. Uh, sometimes they're more spread out. Sometimes they're more compact. Uh, but I've been in the band for over five years now. And every year we do anywhere from 100 to 200 shows, you know, even, even in the COVID year. So um, that makes it really difficult to do these other things. But fortunately for me, you know, some of these other bands, you know, like uh, Heaven's Edge only plays a couple times a year. So that is, uh, you know, easy to, to squeeze in. And uh, now that I'm doing the Life Project, that's a little bit more demanding, you know, when we have work to do. But, you know, I do my best to try to finagle it or, you know, make the dates work. Uh, but now the latest thing that I've added is Lynch Mob. And, um, you know, personally for me, you know, that is a, a huge, huge uh uh, I don't want to say accomplishment, but it, it's very important to me, you know, growing up that that was the sound and the tone that I chased and the kind of music that I've always wanted to play. So now that I'm getting a chance to do it, it's kind of taken uh priority over some of these other things. Yeah. So um, kind of all that is leading into, you know, the next phase, which is getting someone to, to cover for me while I do these other things. So I've been very fortunate to have uh, a friend of mine in my life, Rick Reynolds, who is a fellow bass player uh, he's been in the game for a very long time. He's pretty much subbed in for the majority of my bands uh, when I wasn't able to be there since, uh, I mean, for almost the last 10 years, even pre-Tantric, he's been helping me. So uh, he's been a huge role uh, in making this all happen. And I honestly can say, I don't know that I would be able to have all of these gigs still uh, without the help 
uh, from Rick. And, uh, this last year was the first time I've really had to sub out, um, some of these bigger gigs that I have. And, uh, Rick came in and did a killer job and sounds like this year is going to be a lot more tangling of the schedules. And, uh, I think Rick is on board to help me out with that as well, but, uh, it's not easy, but, uh, you know, I kind of look at it as this, you know, when you have a normal job, you know, whether you're working a restaurant or whatever, you know, good employees are, are hard to come by. Right. So when you have a band, you know, it's all about chemistry and the creation. I get that. But when you're on tour, it's a little different. You know, you kind of are looked at as an employee, you know, everybody does their job every day, has their own duties to do. And I think, you know, if you're valuable and you're a likable person, people will be happy to have you, you know, as much as they physically can. And I think with tantric, you know, we're a family, you know, I'll come in and always give it, you know, more than 110% every single show. And, you know, I work really hard off stage as well. So I think, you know, anytime I can be there, they're more than happy to have me. And rather than just say, screw you, you know, you can't do all the shows. We're getting somebody else, you know, we make the best of the situation and we make sure that everybody's happy and all the work still gets done. And when I can be there, I can. And when I can't, you know, I'm not going to leave them hanging with the go figure it out. You know, I'm going to actually give them the answer, which is, Rick Reynolds, you know, it all kind of circles back to that. So I think, you know, juggling those things is as difficult as it is. You know, if you really want it, I think it's it's doable. And, uh, you know, not everybody is as fortunate to have a friend like I do that can do that. But there's people out there that want gigs. And I think there's plenty of uh, work to be had for everybody. So hopefully uh, the juggling act can continue. But for now, it's working out. Yeah, and it seems like it's working out well. I mean, again, I follow you on the social media stuff and it looks like everything is going great. I'm very happy for you that it's doing that, man. Thanks, um, man. I'm very happy as well. What about your involvement with bands? You know, again, possibly a bit of a strange question, but, you know, Tantric's a bigger name band. Obviously, Lynch Mob is doing some really cool things at the moment. Heaven's Edge, most people who listen to that sort of genre would have heard of Heaven's Edge. I know that the Life Project's more of a new thing for you, so I'm, I'm going to exclude them from this particular question. But when you get these opportunities, let's talk about how these opportunities to play in these bands come about. And then also, you know, obviously you already said that you kind of obsessed with playing and you kind of got deep into it. So from a playing perspective, you're obviously at a certain level that you can do those things. But how do you mentally prepare yourself for auditioning for these types of bands when you get these calls or opportunities? Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a strange question for me because, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, um, they kind of just come like out of the blue, you know, like when honestly the night we played together in London, um, you know, I was having a hard time getting cell service that day and I wasn't getting any text messages and, and, uh, you know, we're sitting there playing with Tantric in, in, you know, England for the first time ever. And I'm sitting in that, that venue that we played and I'm sitting in the bathroom and all of a sudden my phone just started going off, like, you know, notifications of, of messages. And I got one online, uh, from Mark from Heaven's Edge, who's a buddy of mine from Philadelphia. And that was the, the night that I got asked if I would be interested in doing the Heaven's Edge stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I flew home from Europe when that, that trip was done and uh, kind of just went into the rehearsal space and, and jammed the songs with them to see, you know, if, if one, I was the right fit, but two, if we all kind of got along. But, 
leading into that, the whole every day, pretty much after we played together, I was in the dressing room of all the venues that we played, learning the Heaven's Edge material, so that when I got there, you know, it was like, okay, what songs do you guys want to do? Because I've learned, you know, pretty much all of them. So I kind of always try to over prepare uh, when I know I'm in that situation. But out of all these things that we're talking about project wise, I think that's the only one I really uh, would say that I have auditioned for. Tantric, I kind of just fell into and was like, hey, can you do this gig and uh, be here in two days and go on a tour for six weeks? And it was kind of a crazy whirlwind thing, but kind of the same thing for Lynch Mob. Uh, kind of just referred from a couple friends to fill in for some shows uh, for a buddy and then kind of got there and like wasn't even really an audition. It was like the first jam was sound check at the first show. So I think just going in and, and really preparing and knowing your parts and being flexible and, you know, easygoing is, is really key. But, you know, also putting yourself into it, like anybody can play a song, you know, from tab or, you know, looking it up or whatever and can get through it. But, you know, the style comes into play, you know, the emotion, you know, it's mental and physical. And, uh, you know, all these bands that we're talking about, they're all kind of different uh, stylistically. So growing up playing metal and thrash and all these things when I was younger, I think really whipped me into shape to pretty much cover all these bases. And I know we kind of took Life Project out of this question, but, you know, that's the most demanding physically of playing because it's all right hand you know picking and and fast more metal where a band like lynch mob is more soulful and feel and and bluesy so i think just having that physical stamina is is one thing but also emerging yourself uh or like just in in the actual feel of the music altogether is, is a whole nother thing you know just kind of going there mentally and and getting that smooth feel vibe or, uh, you know, just banging your head, whatever the style might be. You know, you really just got to go for it more so than knowing your parts, but feeling your parts. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you know, it's all different. I, I approach everything differently. But, you know, to answer your question, um, really all it comes down to is practice. I mean, I, I practice almost every single day. Uh, I'm taking a little break now for the holiday for the first time in years, but uh, you know, I still play multiple times a week, but at, at any given regular time of the year, I play almost every single day. If I'm home eight plus hours a day, I'm just jamming to whether it's a set list of a band I'm learning the material for, or just keeping my chops up or just jamming and recording. You know, it's just a matter of, of being physically ready when the time comes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think also, you know, it's just to jump on your answer there a little bit as well, like just to kind of be be in the role for for the for the artist that you're playing it it makes so much sense you know a lot of guys again can just play but some guys look out of place or some guys sure. it, you can tell they're just not into it sometimes you know so it's like that makes a lot of sense you know it's like acting and dressing the part as well you know it's more than just the playing very much so 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 let's like completely twist this on its head you know, obviously sure. you're a you're a busy working musician. I'm a working musician. Most of the people I've interviewed for this have been full time working musicians. What if you're a a young guy starting like a band? And and I don't mean that in a in a terms of an age. I mean the music industry's changed so much. You know, it's not like there's a hundred 
thousand places to play anymore. You can't just go to your local venue up the street because a lot of places don't have a venue up the street. So what if you're a young guy starting a band and you're trying to go about getting gigs? What would you do if, if if you were starting all of this again? And, and I know it's all very hypothetical, but you're starting this again, knowing what you know, you have your know-how, what would you do to go about trying to get some gigs or join a band that is already gigging? Um, well, I guess that's a two-parter because if you're joining a band that's already gigging, you know, you want to try to take it to another level or whatever. But I think I would do pretty much what I, what I did to start uh, originally. And that was, you know, when I was younger, I was the leader of, of the majority of my bands. And when I say leader, I don't mean I ran everything in terms of like write all the music and all that, you know, obviously that's a, that can be a group effort, but in terms of like the business side of things, you know, when, when I was a teenager, I didn't realize that it was quote unquote business. I just thought, you know, was, all right, I got to go to a place and ask if we can play there and, you know, like figure all out the logistics. I just figured I was the guy to do that because I was a kind of a hungry go getter kind of guy, you know, as I kind of see myself still, but, Um, the whole point is like, you know, you gotta be willing to put in that groundwork. You know, uh, we did a lot of house parties and a lot of, uh, free shows in backyards and stuff like that growing up, you know, we had a thrash band and we would rent out the school of rock venue and, you know, have our friends from school come down there. And, you know, after a few months, you know, uh, playing for your parents and friends quickly turned into a couple hundred kids going nuts and, having mosh pits to, okay, well, maybe we do some house parties in the city. And then we kind of, you know, branch out of our little circle there a little further. And then after about a year, say, well, yeah, this was in the years of MySpace, you know, I figured, well, the best way to really do shows outside of your market is to play for somebody else's audience. And so we would start doing show swaps. We would contact bands from cities that were nearby and say, hey, you want to come out here and play? Uh, with us here and in return give us a show in your hometown and that's kind of how it all started to branch out and and spiderweb if you will and uh, just getting in with the bands I think was the best because you know once you win them over if they want to have you and then you know you play at their show and the promoter sees you there at their preferred club then you know the promoter knows hey we got another killer band that we can have here then the shows become your shows and so forth so I think it's just a matter of networking and talking to people and, and showing your face. You know, a lot of people want to sit at home and criticize on Facebook. No one comes out to shows. You know, why does anybody come see our band? Well, if you're not going out to see bands and you're not talking to people, how are they going to know about your band? You know, it's like, it's totally just word of mouth to start, I think. And uh, no matter how much money you put into advertising uh, and so forth with all that kind of uh, stuff, I think nothing is more valuable than, than face value. And that's going out there and talking to people and, and being personable. And I think that's the most important thing for bands, you know, a million bands that I've heard have great songs or a million, you know, great players out there, but they don't want to talk to anybody or deal with anyone. So no one wants to deal with them, you know, it kind of kills it before it even becomes anything. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying everybody needs to be, you know, Mr. Social, but it definitely helps to have somebody in the band that can do that and is willing to put in that kind of work and uh kind of like i was touching on in in the previous question you know it's kind of like a job when you're on tour you know everybody has their role i feel like bands you know even off tour are kind of still like that you know you got the main songwriter guy you got the guy with the van who does all the driving and might have all the gear you got the guy who's the 
the ladies man or Mr. Social or whatever you want to call it. That's getting all the friends and the girls to come to the shows to bring their friends. You know, like you hear in all these rock docs, you know, and all these documentaries of, of bands growing up on the Sunset Strip and stuff like that. You know, it's literally just, you know, beating people to death with your band and, and making sure that people are aware. And uh, again, being likable is, is another huge part of that. But, uh, you know, I think that's pretty much starting out what most bands can do, you know, hone in on their craft, get good and then figure out how to get people interested in what they're doing. Yeah, and dude, the the one thing you said there as well, it's so important, like just talking and socializing with people, it can mean so much to somebody who's into your band and they've come to sure. the venue to watch you and, and, you know, they might not have, maybe courage is the wrong word, but they might not have the courage to talk to a band member, but they might love your band and just by you talking to that person, man, that can, that can create a lifelong fan and at least in my experience, some of those people can follow you forever. And it's just because yeah. you you took the initiative to kind of go, hey, thanks for coming down to the show off stage. It's like it's so small but so powerful, man. Yeah, some of my best friends uh, currently are people that I've met that maybe have started out as fans or people I didn't even really know the band, but, you know, who just met at a show or what, or whatever, you know, and uh, – you know, you just connect, and when you connect with people, you know, it, you never know what can come of it. And I think, uh, kind of even to to top on that, it's like I've gotten a lot of gigs just talking to people that didn't even know that I was even in really a band, or they never heard of Tantric or whatever it is. You know, you just kind of it's it's almost word of mouth or uh, based on again that personality or that social skill. So it can really go both ways with that. Totally. So you've spent a lot of time and do spend a lot of time on the road. Yes. What's the, what's the hardest part and what tips could you offer on trying to stay sane on the road, especially on long hauls? Um, I would say uh, there's a couple things. You know, it's obviously hard. You're dealing with multiple personalities of people and some people are morning people. Some people are not, you know, all these kind of things that, that come with humanity. Um, I think the most important part is to remember what you're there doing. You know, you're all there for the love of playing music or I would hope so. Uh, for me, that's, that's every day, you know, I, I drive or I do all the work all day long just to get to that hour, hour and a half on stage every night. And, uh, no matter how hard of a day or how brutal of a trip or whatever it is, how mad everybody is at each other, uh, kind of just don't think about it you know you just go on stage and and again kind of like we were talking about with the fuel of of you know people being opposed to what you're doing like i take anger and aggression out uh on the stage the second the lights come out and we hit that first opening note no matter which band i'm playing with i'm leaving it all on the stage you know that's that's what i'm there to do and i try to never lose sight of that because so many bands get burned out on the road and they say oh, i just can't wait to get home but I've never understood that. It's like you practice your whole life to get here and do this and you're doing it. And like, you just want to go home. It's like, I get that people get tired and stuff, but you know, it's just at that point, you got to, got to question yourself, you know, am I here for the right reasons? And I think the right reasons are loving what you do. And uh, I think that gets lost in the shuffle a lot. And uh, I think the other part of that is, you know, people have vices, you know, they want to numb, 
their day. You know, you're in a van for 23 hours driving somewhere to play a gig and, you know, hopping out of the van and going right on stage, just making it in time. You know, that, that kind of stuff is stressful and, and draining. And, you know, some people turn to alcohol or, or drugs or whatever it is. And it's not always easy to tolerate other people. So that's another reason they might do that. But, um, you know, might not be the best way to handle things. But for me personally, you know, that that belief of going on stage is everything and uh, smoking a couple of joints doesn't help. Uh, you know, uh, it does help, I should say. But, you know, it's like you got to find a way to keep yourself uh, even keel, I would say. You know, tensions can run high. Uh, emotions can run low. Uh, you know, finding a way to tolerate everything and uh, still find that love for what you do is is the whole thing, I think. And for me, you know, I wake up driving for me is therapy. I like to drive. So I'll usually take the driver's seat, get a couple Mountain Dews, a couple sodas, whatever. Keep me feeling good. Smoke a joint, make me chill out and then showtime. I mean, what better what better schedule is that? You know, you don't have to wake up for your nine to five. You get to go out and hang out with your friends and meet new people that are often, you know, into the same things that you are and interested in what you're doing there and uh, connecting, man. I mean, it's, it's like a party every night, whether it's, you know, loud music and, and booze or just sitting around a fire or sitting in the van, you know, it's, it's having a good time with other quality people. And I think uh, people lose sight of that very easily. I agree. And I've always thought it was, it was quite, sad as well because you know you mentioned the sunset strip earlier what i loved about those particular sort of bands was they always came across as like a gang you know i've had yep. this discussion with a couple guys on the show already but like they were a gang dude and it's what always appealed to me about bands you you were a, a gang of brothers and for better or worse you were going to do whatever it took and what's sad is when you think how many bands get to that point and and you you'll know because i mean you live this life to get to that point where you can be on tours or you are doing this for you know finance and this is your job or or you get to travel because of it etc 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 that takes a lot of hard work and so for a lot of these guys who get to that point and suddenly all decide that they hate each other I've always thought it's so sad, man, because it's like it took so many years and so much work to get there. You achieved it. And now, like you you said in your answer, it's like now you kind of just like you're ready to go home. Like, shit, man. Like, shouldn't you have thought it's about weird, that before sure. you put in all this work? And, and I get it. People quit normal jobs. So I'm not saying you can't quit music or quit your band. I'm not saying that at all. It's just I've always thought it was so bizarre because like you spend years sometimes decades trying to get to that point and you get to that point and then you're just like, nah, I'm cool. It, it's, it's super bizarre, man. And it's funny. I was laying in bed earlier thinking, uh, about our interview and I just some somewhere, uh, in my brain, I just started thinking about this guy that I was a, a fan of. He was a guitar player. His name was Casey Jones. And he played in this Australian band called De La Cruz. It's kind of like a, a modern day hair metal band. And they, I just remember, Growing up, like, they, you know, had a demo out. I was like, oh, this band's super cool. I hope they make it. And then they got a record deal, and they put out this killer album, and then they just disappeared. And I always wondered what happened. And uh, I had looked them up, and it, the guitar player, who was, like, the main guy, he was like, you know, the music business is just not what I, I'm doing this for. You know, I just want to play guitar, and the business turned me off, and he just dropped off the face of the earth, and I haven't heard anything about him. It was just a random thought I had. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's a topic that I often talk about with many people and it's like, people stop doing things, I think too soon, you know, you put your, your whole life into, into playing into working up and making all these relationships, you know, soon enough, you got a decade's worth of experience of all these things. And not to mention the thousands and thousands of dollars that a lot of people put into their own bands. You know, I look at it as, at it as uh, investing in yourself, right? Like you would with any business, you know, you want to make money. So people are like, Oh, I, we spent, you know, X amount of thousands of dollars making an album, but we didn't make it back in sales. It's like, you know, you're not doing it to make money. You're doing it because you love it. And maybe you lost a few thousand dollars on doing an album, but, where did that album take you? Did it take you to new cities on a new tour and to new audiences? And did it introduce you to new people that can give you better opportunities? You know, the time and the money is the investment. And uh, I think the time is the biggest part of that because I think right when bands start to get on that edge of like making or breaking, you know, they kind of like, oh, this is just not working out. And they stop just a little too soon. You know, it's like you just got to do it long enough to allow it to be successful. And uh, that was uh, something that I heard George Lynch say many, many years ago in an interview. And it always stuck with me, man. You know, it's people just stop, you know, they say, Oh, I'm 25, you know, I got to get my life together. It's like, I literally heard somebody say that when I was in my early twenties and they stopped playing. And I'm like, dude, if I had followed that, you know, I, I would have never gotten here. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm older now and sacrificed a lot to get here, but you know, it just took time. And if you're willing to put that time in, you know, there, there's no telling what people can do. Couldn't agree more. Have you ever seen, I'm assuming you might have, but there's this kind of picture meme thing. I've seen it on Facebook and Instagram a couple of times. It's like these two dudes are, they, they're digging for gold. And it's like the, the picture's split in two. And the one guy, he's like been digging for years and there's like this massive hole and he's, he's about to give up. And just behind him, you can see it, there's gold. And the other guy just keeps going, even though he's not close. And it says something like, you know, you never know how close you are before you give up or before you quit or whatever it says. Yep. But it's, 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 it sums up exactly what you just said in a picture. I, I should find it. And when I put this out, I'll, I'll link it so people can go, go check it out, you know. That's um, exactly true. So here's a bit of a, a question purely for me, um, but I am going to include it in the interview. I saw that you played the Kiss Cruise, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a massive Kiss fan, so I have to ask, did you manage to meet um, Gene or Paul? Um, I have met Gene before, not on the cruise. Um, I had opened for his solo band once, and he was a character, of course, and uh, I would say king of the one-liners, man. That guy can rip on anybody in the funnest <laughs> setting you know um and he was cool i have not met paul but he uh along with i would say tommy thayer uh i did see eric sing around a little bit you know paul was always out watching other bands on the cruise it was crazy because you know you'd think the guys from kids are gonna hide you know they don't want to be swarmed and yeah. sure enough the one time i saw gene on the boat he was coming out of the elevator with about a hundred people surrounding him, holding up vinyls and stuff, screaming his name. Wow. It's like the guy can't go anywhere without being hassled. But Paul, he would take the time to take pictures. He was watching the other bands. You know, um, it was just cool to see. And you would think with a band that big, you know, they, they would just be like, yeah, you know, whatever, who cares? It's our cruise. You know, I'm just going to hang on the pool deck or, you know, whatever. But they're very, they seem very down to earth. And, uh, you know, Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, they're just hanging out with, fans and, and other band members from other bands you know in the lounges like it's nothing and 
I think that's cool. And it was cool to see. Uh, but being a Kiss fan myself, man, I, the Kiss cruise was just next level. You know, a lot of these uh, cruises, like Monsters of Rock cruise and stuff, like they're very overwhelming because there's so many bands, uh, so many personalities, so many people. The Kiss cruise was nice because it was honed in a little bit tighter. You know, it was a little smaller of a boat, a little bit smaller of a crowd, less bands. You felt like you could do everything. And Kiss made you feel really special. Every day there was a Kiss um, related themed gift uh, on the bed when you would come back to your room from breakfast or whatever. Um, they were very uh, accommodating on, on services and things like that. It was just a really nice experience. And uh, as a fan, you know, as you are, it was uh, even better to be a part of that as, as an artist. That's awesome, man. I always thought, you know, uh, again, just to go off on this Kiss tangent here for a couple of minutes, but I always thought it was funny with Kiss how you take guys like Eric and Tommy, and they've both been in that band for over 20 years at this point. Yet, you know, you've got those those diehard Kiss fans that still won't kind of acknowledge them as members. And I get that they're wearing, you know, um, Ace and Peter's makeup. But like, come on, man, those guys have more than paid their dues at this point. Like, they are totally members of that band as far as I'm concerned, you know. I agree. Tommy Thayer is great. I really enjoyed all the times I've seen Kiss over the years with him, uh, especially on the boat. You know, it's a little bit different of a of a show because you get to see them on a pool deck unmasked, you know, and kind of raw. And then you see them in the theater with the gear on, but it's a smaller production. So it's really more about the playing and the performance. And, you know, when you see Kiss on a mega arena stage, you know, you're, you see lights, you see fireworks, confetti, you know, all the shenanigans. But, you know, what you're there for, again, you know, well, for me at least, is, is the music. So to see them on the cruise and to see them, like, really ripping up and still able to really, you know, pull all the stops with, with the music, it was a treat. And I kind of had forgotten about that. Uh, and, you know, again, Tommy Thayer is great, but Eric Singer, I mean, to say that this guy's not worthy of of being an official member, I mean, have you seen the resume? The guy played, oh. with, a, played with a million killer A-list bands. Alice Cooper. I mean, I couldn't think of a, yeah, I mean, Sabbath, I mean, forget yeah. it, you know? I don't get how people, you know, want to just discredit them and, you know, I get it from from the super fan point, but it's just like ridiculous. Yeah, it's totally ridiculous. I, I kind of get into these discussions with some of my musician friends every now and then, and it's like, I get it, you know, we're all fans of certain things and that nostalgic kind of factor plays a part. But sometimes, sometimes I think people would be better off looking at, at some of this stuff like a business, as you've said, because sometimes some of these bands really are trying to push forward like a business and sure. some members in those bands, just like certain employees for certain businesses are holding certain things back. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of everything Kiss related or every uh, everybody else's band. I'm just saying from my own experience, I've seen it. You know, it's like sometimes you have to let somebody go. Sometimes that person nah. might be you. You've got to be the one to go. But, but I think everybody kind of goes, oh, man. You know, I, I always used to find it with singers. You know, you take bands like Alice in Chains or fuel or i mean there's so many man journey you know when they're van halen yeah van halen when when they replace the singer everybody's so quick to just hate on the band but sometimes if you if you kind of take a a, that nostalgic step if you take that out of it and you look at what the band is actually doing usually nine times out of ten at least with the examples that i've just mentioned they 
they're actually still doing a really great job. And sometimes they just want to push forward as a band and they didn't have the opportunity either through somebody dying or somebody having a certain vice and having to leave or, or personality clash. And, and I think sometimes some of these, you know, diehard fans, while they are very, very important, you know, we couldn't live without them. I think sometimes they, they try and get too involved in the band's business and like really, you know, it's still a business, you know, just because it's a bunch of dudes playing guitar while they maybe have a beer on stage doesn't mean that they're all best friends, you know? Definitely not. Definitely. We've seen that with so many bands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, it's kind of heartbreaking. All right, Jaron, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to learn as a musician? Now, I don't uh, mean from a playing perspective. I mean, like, like in your, in your life as a musician. Um, that's, a, that's tough, man. You know, I think, uh, the hardest thing I had to learn, I've had to learn, is probably what we're kind of just talking about. It's it's parting with people that you know when you're in a band and you know it's not working out with a member, whether it's your best friend or just an acquaintance. It's really hard to confront that and to kind of find an easy way to let that situation, you know, uh, kind of figure itself out. You know, if you're not willing to confront somebody with the issues and communicate the, the problems that are holding the band back, you know, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So it kind of takes that person to step up and, you know, address that. And, uh, I am a very non-confrontational person, you know, at heart, but I'm usually the first one to see it, uh, in my head that something's not working. So, um, while I do hold my tongue a lot, I have over the years had to speak up and, and, and make some of those calls or, you know, take one for the team and be the one to, to bring it up. But, um, you know, just, I think finding the right way to do that without losing a friendship, uh, especially when I was younger, you know, most of my best friends were in my band and, you know, when one guy was starting to, to let it go, it was like, someone's got to tell them, you know, we can't do this anymore. No one wanted to step up. And it was just like week after week, it was just getting worse and worse. And I think just manning up and doing that, uh, as much as it kind of felt awkward or, or hurt in a way, it kind of just taught me, you know, that's the best thing you got to do. It's, it's what's best for the band, not best, you know, personally, because if you want to be friends with somebody, be friends with somebody, but you're going into business, so to speak with a friend, that's a whole different thing. And, uh, they say never mix business with pleasure. And, uh, I do believe that, you know, there is a way to do it, but it's just, it's not an easy thing to juggle. Yeah. So let's flip it on its head. What's sure. been the best piece of advice you've ever received in regards to your musical career? Uh, that's funny, man. Uh, the best piece of advice I've ever gotten was uh, from a buddy of mine, Chris Green. Uh, he played guitar for uh, Taiketo and he sat in with Firehouse for a little bit. He had uh, I met him on this tour. I was filling in with this band called Delacoma that I often do work with. Um, showed up, met him, and uh, like a few days into this little tour we were doing, I'm, I'm sharing a room with him. I barely even know him, and I uh, started to get kind of uh, inklings about, oh, this band Tantric needs somebody. You know, would you be interested in doing it if you were asked? And like, I wasn't even really aware of Tantric. Like, I kind of knew the name, and once I heard Breakdown, you know, I was like, I think I've heard this song before. You know, I just kind of knew in my my mind, you know, this was my shot at taking it to the next level, you know, playing with a band that was 
way bigger than anything I've ever done. And uh, I was kind of just talking it through, kind of like I am now with you. And and Chris just looked over me. He goes, "Man, just say yes. Just say yes and figure the rest out later." You know, it was more me saying, "Well, I'm only going to have two days to figure out 14 songs and quit my job that I've been working at for years, my full time, you know, corporate job." And leave for six weeks on a tour with people I've never even met or heard of, really. And then come home and, you know, it's like, you just gave up your job for a six-week tour. You know, all those years of, of hard work and promotions are kind of out the window. It's Is, is it worth it? You know, all these things. And uh, honestly, it turned out to be the best advice ever because you kind of just commit. Yeah, I'm the guy. You get your foot in the door and then you show up and you just you just put the work in and you just do it. And I think too many people say either to themselves or, or to the question, you know, uh, okay, let me think about it or maybe, or this, you know, they hesitate to think about it. But I think, you know, a lot of people talk themselves out of stuff or miss the opportunity because they wait too long. And so my best advice I think I ever gotten was from Chris. And that was to just say yes and to figure out the rest, you know, later on. That's great advice, man. I think it's excellent. Uh, Got to go for it. Yeah, just go for it, man. And uh, sink or swim, but you know you're probably going to swim. So cool. Sure. Um, what's What's the best place for people to go to, or where's the best place for people to go to to get hold of you if they want to kind of book you for anything, sessions or gigs, or just talk to you about bass or anything? Um, I'm I'm pretty responsive on on all the socials, man. I I use Instagram and Facebook. I would say the most. Um. You know, the you can message people on either of those. Facebook's always good, kind of you know, how we do. And um, I kind of treat my pages as uh, pretty much strictly music for, you know, like you would go to somebody's page if you're a Randy Rhodes freak and there's a Randy Rhodes site, you want to go look at pictures or videos. I kind of treat my pages like that, just kind of a place for people. If they're interested in me, they want to know about my music stuff. That's what my page is. It's music. I try not to get too personal on there. So uh, I'm. I'm responsive like a businessman. I'm there and I'm happy to chat with anybody and I'm always open to uh, a good conversation or, or tips even, or, you know, uh, someone give me some uh, insights on some cool new gear or whatever it is. You know, I'm always happy to chat. That's awesome. Last question for you, Jaron. Sure. What's up with the Mountain Dew stuff? <laughs> oh man, I can't shake it. Uh, it's just been a thing, man, since I was like a, I don't know, 10 or 11, uh, I got hooked on Mountain Dew and I can't stop drinking it. And, uh, it's become this whole thing throughout high school. Uh, the school tried to get my mom to stop buying me Mountain Dew. And then, uh, I got a job at a grocery store and I was stocking my locker with cans of Mountain Dew from the top to the bottom because they had banned soda in the schools, I guess, cause of the sugar or whatever. So it was like all juice by like my freshman year, they had soda, and then like tenth and eleventh and twelfth grade, there was no soda. So I became like the guy. You know, for a dollar, you could come to my locker and grab a soda. And it's just kind of been like this thing that was like a joke. And now it's literally, I, I wake up if I don't have a Mountain Dew by like twelve or one o'clock, like I'm miserable. And uh, you know, that's kind of like kind of like a drug, you know, I guess with caffeine. But uh, yeah, man, and now I have fans, you know, almost every single show bringing me 12 packs and I come home with loads of soda to stock up my house with. It's crazy. Well, I mean, that's that's amazing as well. You know, it's and, and, and look, there are way worse vases to have, right? So Mountain Dew all the way, man. 
<laughs> I know. I'd like, it could be worse. It could be like, you know, uh, Jack Daniels or whatever. It's like, I'll just pick a soda. I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. Jaron, dude, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your knowledge and just for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate it too. And uh, I look forward to possibly talking to you again in the future, man. Yeah, hopefully we can do some uh, gigs in the future as well. Let's do it, dude. Let's do it. I'm down. All right, thanks for having me. Bye. Sweet. Another episode done and dusted. I want to thank you if you are continuing to listen to these. I hope you are getting something from them. I want to thank Jaron for his time and his wisdom and his insight. Um, I know I say it every damn episode, but conversations like these are gold, you know. Uh, if you're willing to look past the surface and just take the, the information you need, these are lessons for musicians that sometimes we don't learn the easy way. My name is Travis Mark. You can find out more about me at travismark.com. You can find out more about Musicians Mentor at musicians-mentor.com. Please continue to rate and review this podcast that helps us. But until next time, keep doing your thing, work hard, enjoy yourself. Peace.